Sola Scriptura. Green Bay Packers. Sola Scriptura was one of the battle cries of the Reformation. And um, it, it's your Latin lesson for the day. Sola Scriptura. Sola means, sola means alone. Scriptura, take a leap of faith. What do you think it means? Scripture. And this whole series focuses on Scripture as the divinely inspired final authority of faith in Jesus. That's what sola scriptura means. And it's also, for those of you that have never heard of the Reformed Church, aren't really interested in the Reformed Church, uh, we have a, a history going back centuries to the Protestant Reformation. It's one of the distinctives of the Reformed tradition. There were really five solas that formed the Protestant Reformation. First and foremost, there was uh, Christ alone and grace alone, faith alone, glory to God alone, and scripture alone. So that's your history lesson for the morning. One of five of the solas. And what's the significance of the Bible? Um, it's the most unique and significant book ever written. You know, it's unbelievable. If you have a Bible, if you have one of these, if you don't, you can grab one on your way out, it's yours. It's the most amazing book you will ever read. It, it truly is. It stands alone. You realize over 100 million copies of the Bible are sold every year. And that since its first authorship and writing, oh, it, the, the uh, total of sales has exceeded 5 billion copies. The full Bible has been translated in over 500 languages. It's been partially translated into over 2,800 languages. The Old Testament took, get this, a thousand years to be written. The New Testament, 50 to 75 years to be written. What's even more amazing, and the Bible is not a single work by one author, but a collection of works from a variety of authors, including shepherds, kings, farmers, priests, poets, scribes, and fishermen. Also, get this, Traitors, embezzlers, adulterers, murderers, and auditors. It's an amazing book. And that's only the beginning. Now, to combat biblical illiteracy, I decided to throw a little Bible trivia quiz in here for you. Get you engaged, get you excited just to affirm your Bible knowledge. Uh, and there's only five questions, so we're going to grade on, the, grade on the curve here. If you're ready, what's the longest chapter in the Bible? And don't, you don't have to shout this out, okay? Just share it with your neighbor to impress them. Longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. It has 176 verses. So then what's the shortest chapter in the Bible? Psalm 117 has two verses. Now some of you, you are doing pretty well. You're feeling pretty good about yourself. I got a couple that I think will be a challenge. What's the longest verse in the Bible? Esther 8, 9. And if you have your Bibles, you can go look that up. It looks more like a chapter, quite frankly. There's 80 words in Esther 8, 9. And by the way, this information is crucial in preparing you for another week, isn't it? Okay, you ready for this one? What's the longest name in the Bible? The longest name in the Bible. It's from Isaiah 8.3. And um, 
Mahershalohashbaz. No, it hasn't caught on in this country yet. But it's interesting that the meaning of this name is quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. Those of you that may be having children soon, if you're pregnant, you may consider this if you're having a boy, because there's just a variety of nicknames in that word. Now, last question is for everybody. What type of lights were on Noah's ark? You ready? Of course. Floodlights. Hey, I'm doing the best I can here. Um, you know, there's a lot of really weak jokes like that about the Bible. Be grateful you only got one. Here's what I want to just uh, share with you. This is not just a three-part series. This is really a, a moment in TFRC's history that is going to impact the future traje trajectory um, in regards to how we treat the Word and the priority of the Word. It's not like we've ignored the Bible, if you've been here for a while. But in some ways, we think we've got to do a better job of prioritizing Scripture uh, from development, developmentally preschool on up. I know Tiff providentially happens to be working on a series on the Bible uh, in the other building as we speak. And one of the things that happens when we just go through the motions at times, and we're, we're guilty of it as well, I think, as pastors, is um, it's, it's one of the cliches. Uh, Chuck and John do a, do a better job with this than I do. Um, about this time of the service, somebody, one of you stands and walks to the middle of the room and reads the scripture, right? It's kind of a cool tradition. I don't know how many years we've been doing it. And I'm gonna select someone this morning, just randomly. No, I'm just kidding. Just put <laughs> Jerry, no. But here's, here's what I say, and this is kind of my mini confession of the day. This is what I say, and, and don't do this. Uh, and now we're going to stand and face the middle of the room because scripture is central to who we are and to the life of this church. You remember me saying this? And honestly, Chuck and John kind of rearranged the verbiage. I'm just, I've be, it's become a cliche for me. So that's all I'm gonna confess to you today. But the reality is uh, we need to make this more than it's been. Uh, quite honestly, this is about as short a scripture passage as we've ever focused on in any series in my tenure here. But I wanna do something this morning that maybe changes the trajectory of this moment for, for at least the foreseeable future. Um, what, I, what I'd like you to do now is stand and face the middle of the room because scripture is central for who we are as individuals in a worshiping community. Um, now I want you to just reflect for a moment. How central has scripture been to me this past week? How often have I focused on it? How often has it transformed me? How often has it made a difference in how I've lived out my life? We profess together it's central to the ministry of the church. I don't want to slough that off, but the reality is, unless it's central to each one of us, it's not going to be central to all of us. And I think what would be a great new tradition is when you're asked to stand, you just take a personal time out and reflect and say, okay, 
it's been a good week. I've really tried to honor God. I've, I've stepped up my obedience here or there, or it's a moment of confession saying, I didn't open the Bible a crack. In fact, 2018 has been a bad year. I haven't gotten there yet. But in this moment, that can be a pretty profound moment. Or it can become cliche. And that's why traditions in churches uh, are problematic. And that's why churches die. So I'm going to read a short passage from 2 Timothy 3. Again, if you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's near the end of the book, end of the New Testament. And these are the words of God. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, if you'd like, you can have a seat. Actually, you all have to have a seat. I don't think we can ever overstate the significance of God's Word. It is the book beyond, above and beyond all books. This book is three things, and I just want to highlight these briefly. It's both informational, it's inspirational, and it's transformational. We'll leave those up for a minute if you're taking notes. I want you to think of the last book you read or listened to on tape and stack that particular book up to what God's word potentially can do in our lives. And there's a lot of uh, New York Times bestseller books that some of you have read or listened to, but I'm suggesting if we were first to stumble onto this book somehow for the first time, now uh, granted some of this is difficult to wade through, but by the time you're finished reading the book and allowing God to do his business in your heart and life, the Holy Spirit to do his business, you may have changed. And that's why we wanna just encourage you, part of this new trajectory. Um, if you, everyone has a Bible app, right? I assume, most of us. Those are so nice and convenient. But I'm not sure nice and convenient is the best. And if you were here last week, you heard this little appeal. We want to encourage you maybe not all the time, but for a specific time, set the app aside and pull out your own personal version of the text. Uh, what, what happens in, in our quest for convenience in culture, often we lose something in translation. We think it's what's happened to our relationship with the Bible. See, our, our Bible apps and other convenient approaches cost us in several ways. See, once you begin pursuing God's word in your own personal copy of the text, the Bible becomes much more personal. I've got a book, it's a New Testament, and of course, like any good communicator, he left it in the other building, but it was the New Testament that my church in Kalamazoo, Michigan gave me when I stood in front of the congregation like we do and made my profession of faith as a sophomore in high school. It's like, um, it says, uh, the uh, Third Reformed Church of Kalamazoo, Michigan, presents this Bible to Brian Friesman for his confession of faith on whatever date, 1969 or 68, which for you history butts is shortly after the Civil War. <laughs> but I've had that book 
and not just on my shelf. That's the book I use for every wedding and funeral since I started ministry 40 years ago. And now the irony is the binding is really broken down. You know, when the, it's a black book and you see all the brown, you know, strings coming out, I cut off the strings, but I have a big enough hand, it hides most of the damage on the binding and I still use it. I've used it the last two weekends at graveside services. And there's something about that book that when I put it in my hand, it becomes special. It reminds me of my journey, not just my journey of faith, my journey of ministry. And so I know someday I'll pass that on to someone else. But the Bible can become a very personal reflection of your spiritual journey. Or it's a Bible app. Uh, another issue we face is as a culture, Christian culture, not secular culture, we've become increasingly biblical, biblically illiterate. We don't know where passages are. We haven't studied the context of passages. And so what we have now is a great number of study Bibles, excellent tools that offer additional information and insight. And, and we'd encourage you to find one of those that suits your needs and, and take notes in the margins. It doesn't, it's not defacing the Bible. Um, some of you take notes here. Some of you are in other Bible studies. You take notes. And so in moments like this, you're reminded of another truth that you learned two years ago, 10 years ago. And so the Bible becoming personalized, the, the Spirit begins to speak in different ways. And just one other motivation, a printed Bible actually gathers dust if you leave it on the shelf. And so it will be a great reminder of when you used it last. But first of all, last week Chuck began by saying all scripture is God breathed. He spent a lot of time fleshing that out. And I just, just the concluding words, summarizing words, I would say this. Scripture's God breathed means that God's word is inspired by the Holy Spirit and it's life-giving and life-changing above and beyond any other book. Now, today again, the passage, all scripture is God-breathed. We're gonna settle on the, the center section of these two verses. Specifically, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And again, next week, so that servant of God may be thoroughly equipped. All scripture is God-breathed, useful, useful for teaching. Now, teaching is the summary heading of this middle section of those two verses, the summary of the second phrase. These next subcategories fit under that. Now, imagine this just for a moment. This is, again, silly. But imagine that God sent Jesus. He saved the human race, you included, and then said, hey, you're on your own. Hope you can figure it out. What's right or wrong? You have to figure that out. Figure out how to get through life. I did my part, you do yours. Imagine that. But instead he gave this Holy Spirit breathed text as an instruction, inspiration, and transformation manual for you. And so God's word teaches on the great topics of the human existence. Is there a God? What is he like? How can we know him? Who are we? Why are we on this planet? Why is there death and suffering? What lies beyond the grave? What does the future hold? How do I know right from wrong? These and many other questions are answered in this singular book. In addition, there's principles and insights for you today, practical, to, to deal with our daily experience. How do I relate to my spouse? 
I didn't mean to say that with a derogatory attitude, but how do I relate to my spouse? Or girlfriend or boyfriend, how do I relate to others? How do I raise my kids? How do I manage my money? How do I conduct my business? How do I make wise decisions? How do I control my emotions, my anger, my depression, my anxiety, my impulsiveness? How do I overcome temptation? The Bible speaks practically on those and many more topics. It's amazing. It's amazing. And if that isn't amazing enough, we have access to the most amazing story in all of time in history. The story, get this, of the incarnation of the God-man, prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before it actually happened, predicting the future, the end of days, and beyond into eternity. This Jesus came to fulfill God's promise to redeem the world through one sacrificial act, death on a cross. And it's in this book. It's in this book. Now, if you'd never heard of the Bible, and I said, the answer to most, if not all of your personal problems, daily issues, is in this book, how many would rush out and get it? A kindergarten Sunday school teacher was walking around observing her kids, her classroom full of children. They were drawing pictures on this particular week and she got to one little girl who was working diligently and so the teacher asked what the drawing was and the girl said, I'm drawing God. And the teacher paused and said, but no one knows what God looks like. And without stopping or looking up, she said, they will in a minute. <laughs> now, that's cute, but in some ways it's what we do where our opinions these days become hardened into absolute truths. Or at least some of those people have that tendency. Um, the Bible has so much to teach. It's not enough these days to have an opinion and everyone's got those opinions. Name a topic, any topic. We need access to an authoritative text. We need access to a source of absolute truths in this swirling, waving culture of relative morality. The Bible has so much to teach anytime, what? We're ready to learn. The, and here, this is just, again, lovingly submitted. I'm in this camp. The older we get, the more content we are with what we know. And all older people said, amen. In fact, the older we get, the more willing we are to share our gems of knowledge even when no one is asking for it. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Few of you in particular notice that. So, um, it's useful for teaching. Now we ask ourselves, and let's be honest, this is truly a big deal, folks. How significant a role does the Bible play in your life's learning curve these days? How dependent on the Bible have you been in the last week, month, 2018? Pick a, pick a date, pick a gap, a time frame. How reliant have you been on the book? And again, I'm not knocking you. I'm in the same dilemma. Here's the deal. Most of us need to re-up our commitment to get into the Bible and learn. And more importantly, to grow. So, Bible's useful for teaching. That's the, the heading of this middle section of this passage. And it describes three things, our fundamental source. The Bible then becomes our fundamental source, first of all, of reprimand. The word that we read in, in 2 Timothy 3 literally is rebuke. For the, again, we taught you the Latin, here's the Greek word of the day, it's elegmos, means rebuke. 
This rebuke means to convince or expose. When I read the Bible and take it seriously, there are behaviors and attitudes and relationships in which I'm exposed. It's the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament. So warnings from time to time based upon God's word have to be issued to us. There's errors, mistakes in conduct and attitude and doctrine. They've got to be refuted in a spirit of love. Dangers have to be pointed out. Back in the day and to this day, false teachers need to be exposed. And as we assent, as we profess to be followers of Jesus, we're all under the authority of this book, of God's word. And so when the Bible exposes our values, our conducts, conduct or our theology is wrong, guess what? We're wrong. We can't run to a cultural standard and say, see, you grade on the curve, I'm not all that bad. Or everyone's accepting this, it must be true. It is so tempting these days. One of the fundamental sources of, of reprimand, of rebuke in our lives is the Bible. That's why some of us don't like to go there. Why would you wanna to go to a book that tells you you're wrong or really wrong? When's the last time you've sought out a good old-fashioned rebuking in your daily or weekly or day? Uh, it doesn't happen. Uh, Mark Twain, we, we're gonna go back a few years to my close personal friend, my, Mark Twain. He said this, I love this quote. It ain't those parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me, it's the parts that I do understand. And I would argue those are the parts that we tend to avoid. What I'd like you to do, now we're gonna do more of this, again, in this new, with this new trajectory, we're gonna try not to throw a lot of verses at you this, that may you know, not sink in. We want you turning in your Bibles with us to some specific passage when, the, when they're really crucial to the, the teaching of the day. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. And this is a, Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, just strengthens this whole idea of the rebuke, the reprimand the convincing or exposing. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13, it's near the end of the book, end of the New Testament. And again, if some of you would like to memorize entire books of the Bible, that'd be great too. Um, here's what it says. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. By exposing our sin, we can confess it, seek forgiveness for it, and be careful to avoid it in the future. A Psalm, Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And here's the dilemma when we talk about this rebuke, this, this uh, conviction of sin and the spirit acting through the word. Some of us grew up in churches that continually hammered us on sin. It was a legalistic, guilt-driven church culture. And so we struggled with or rejected the reprimands of scripture. I talked to so many people of my vintage, of my generation, who grew up in the church and rejected it just because it was always guilt-driven, downward spiraling, no grace. And so they blew it off permanently. Then there's others of us today that didn't grow up in the church and have never been exposed to the concept of sin, never heard the word, don't understand the word. 
and respectfully need to figure out what faith-driven boundaries need to be set. And, and that's what drives us back to the Word. To accept correction from the Bible means to become comfortable reading and owning what we've gotten off track, where we've gotten off track. It's asking forgiveness of God or someone else that we've wronged and commit to changing. That's the instruction of the Bible. But there's a flip side to that too. If there's reprimand, there's also reform. The Bible is also our source of reform. Use that term because we're a reformed church. I just thought that was kind of cool. The literal word is correcting there. And the literal word in Greek means a restoration to an upright position or a right state. Not only does it point out what's wrong and where we've gone wrong, it doesn't just leave us there. It also tells us how to restore our relationship with God, with others, and with ourselves. It helps align our lives with the, with the teachings of Jesus. It tells us how to be reconciled with those we've wronged. It helps us overcome harmful habits, how to mend broken family relationships, how and when and where to share our faith. Let me give you one example of this. And there are literally dozens, the reforming passages, what to do that's right. And it also gives us the flip side. If you turn to Matthew chapter five, verse 43. Matthew 5, 43. This is a classic Jesus statement. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's kind of our motivation. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. So what do you do with people that you're at odds with, that have dissed you, that have uh, wronged you? What do you do with those folks? You love them. Now, some of us could close the book and take that on as a personal project and call back in a year. There's a long list of people in many of our lives that we struggle with. Bible, the Bible is also our source of habit-forming obedience. It's this training in righteousness. Training here literally means child training. It's a process where God teaches us how to deal with all of life, just like parents do. Many of you parents and grandparents work with your kids or grandkids for the years and train them in various standards of morality, relational skills, useful habits, social graces to various effect. So God, through his word, trains us in all areas of life so we can know what pleases him. He trains. It's a training process. He trains in righteousness here, meaning living up to the consistent standards of obedience laid out in the Bible, behaving, thinking, and interacting in a way that makes God proud of his people. Now, see, we don't try for righteousness. We train for righteousness. We don't try to be better Christ followers, we train to be better Christ followers. I'm amazed uh, as I look around and I, I hear and I read and I observe, so many of you are trying to get in better shape today. I'm really concerned. You're gonna be in too good a shape. We have more and more people participating in 5K and 10K walks and runs. We have people riding uh, inordinate distances on bikes, half marathons, marathons, triathlons and more. I just chatted with someone this, uh, just within the last two weeks about their recent participation in something called Spartan races. Have you heard of Spartan races? 
You've got to find who these people are and pray for them. It's, it's crazy. It's berserk. Um, these races may be anywhere from three miles to 14 miles. And within those distances, there's multiple obstacles like ladders, walls. You've got to maneuver around and through mud, hills, ravines, rocks. It's all part of the race. You're not running in a straight line. You're encountering all these different objects. It's a Spartan-esque challenge, you understand. Well, I've got an announcement to make. There's a Spartan race just down the road next Saturday, and I'm going to participate. I haven't trained at all. Um, haven't done anything yet. I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know the rules, but I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm inviting you to join me. We're going to give it a shot, okay? I, this, I'm belaboring a really stupid illustration, I realize. Um, but, but understand, uh, at the half mile mark, I would puke. <laughs> at the mile mark, coronary. By about five miles, we're talking memorial service next Wednesday at 10, you know? <laughs> you, would never, you would never do that. And yet, I wanna try to be a Christian seems to be the local industry standard. Now, granted, there are things the Holy Spirit puts in our path immediately that we wanna to respond to immediately. Let's give those a shot. But when it comes to the Christian faith, everything I read, including Paul's letters, repetitively say, hey, this is like running a marathon and you have to train for it. And one of the best ways to train for something is to read the manual, which instructs, inspires, and transforms. One of the things about the text is we're challenged because it's the source of our training. And again, grace is a free gift. Don't confuse the issues here. I'm so amazed and so grateful that in this amazing story of the redemption of the human race, grace is the gift and you don't have to work for it one bit. But then God calls us into a relationship with his son and it starts grappling with the issues of obedience and consistency in our faith. And we want to grow and become more and more consistent in our behaviors, our attitudes, relationships, and emotions. And I would argue through repetitive exposures to the Bible's teaching, consistent time reading it, reflecting, responding on it, will train to accomplish things we could never accomplish on our own in every sphere of life as we try to live out our faith in Jesus. It's an unbelievable book. So the Sola Scriptura challenge that we shared with you last week, simply, and I know this may even sound like a little tokenism, but begin bringing your Bibles to church. Uh, develop a personal relationship with it, or deeper relationship with it. Borrow a Bible here, or, or buy a Bible here or somewhere else. And then we just threw this out because one of the things that uh, combating biblical illiteracy, it really helps to know where the books of the Bible are. And I wonder how many of us could walk through chronologically the, the books of the Bible. Memorize the books of the Bible if you've never done it. It helps, helps you in your search for different information and truth or perhaps memorize the theme verse 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, really an easy verse. And we want that, those two verses to become central as we look to the future of TFRC. Or look to a verse that's relevant to your situation and commit that to memory. Many of us grew up in a Sunday school setting where we had the verse of the week, you memorized it, 
you know, you got some form of food or gold star, you know. But what if we memorize a verse because of where we're living out our lives today? There's a verse, folks, that can help you grapple with grief. There's a verse that can help you take the next step in your career. There's a, next, there's a verse that can help you forgive someone in a relationship. And what if we began committing the text to memory and allowing not just us working through the word, but the word works through us. And then just commit to spending a little more time in personal Bible study. Um, if we gave you a piece of paper and had you write down the number of hours or minutes you spent in the word this past week and then we all held them up, what would the average time be? Again, I'm, I'm not throwing stones here, I'm just saying. Are we in the word more today than we were a year ago? Commit to spending a little more time. There's a template for a Bible study on the back of the outline today. Five hours. We try to make it somewhat uh, uh, easy to remember. Get into the Word on your own time. Uh, find that space in your own week. We want to recapture the power of sola scriptura as we follow Jesus together. See, the Bible declares that a personal commitment to Jesus Christ will redeem us but the Bible also declares that a personal commitment to God's word, the Bible, will transform us. Believe it? Let's live it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you first of all for the story of the redemption of humanity found in your word. We thank you that this book, above all, all other books, has the Ruach HaKodesh, the breath of God breathed on it, in it, and through it, and through the authors of those who have gone before us. And then, Lord, I pray that even in this moment, you'll help us say, I've got to train. I've, I've got to get into the Word more than I have been. And Lord, I trust your transforming power working through your Spirit, through my walk with Jesus, will walk through, help me walk through the Word as well. God, we thank you for your holy, inspired Word. And uh, we're grateful for the good news of the gospel that's contained in it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And now receive the blessing if you'll stand. Now go in peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, be with us now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.